right, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. We'll get started. And uh, welcome to Hudson Institute, and welcome to those who are watching us live streamed. Um, we had uh, Vice President Pence here, who gave an address on uh, US-China policy yesterday. And uh, he had a teleprompter. So I feel, I feel very, um, very deprived not having a teleprompter, but I'll do my best here. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank Nate Sibley, who is uh, back there, who is the program manager of the Kleptocracy Initiative. I'm the executive director of the Kleptocracy Initiative, so we have a lot of titles for an operation of two and a half people. Uh, I should say the other half of, uh, well, the other, the third element of the Kleptocracy Initiative is one half of Ben Judah, who is in London right now, so I'm afraid he's not here. Uh, and we'd like to thank Josh Kirschenbaum, who's going to be part of the program, uh, who really instigated this, and he and Nate have put this together. And we have a very uh, interesting program today that's very specific, uh, highly highly relevant to what is going on in our uh, neck of the woods, topically speaking. Uh, so we will hear, as you can see from the program, uh, we will hear, well, actually, yeah, no, we do have it all here. We'll hear from uh, Ilze Znotin at first, who's going to give a fairly major speech. Then we'll have remarks from Nicolas Véron and Josh Kirschenbaum. Then we'll sit down for a panel discussion, and um, uh, the uh, ambassador, Andrish Tekmanis, I'm probably, I'm, I apologize for mispronouncing all of this, but uh, the ambassador will kick off the panel with a few remarks. We'll have a discussion, and then uh, we'll have some time for uh, questions and short comments from you all. Um, uh, Ilze Znotina, then, is head of Latvia's Financial Intelligence Unit, so I imagine she's been quite busy lately. Uh, and she's had a very distinguished career doing difficult things, uh, especially now, but I, I, all along, it looks like. She was a partner at Deloitte, specializing in dispute resolution with expertise in regulatory issues, insolvency, anti-bribery, anti-monolithic, anti-money laundering, fraud, and white-collar crime. She performed anti-fraud reviews at many international and local businesses, leading investigation of corruption, false accounting, fraud, theft, asset recovery, tax evasion, money laundering, and obstruction of justice. All stuff I love. This is terrific. Uh, prior to being appointed, she led the preparation of Latvia's national AML CFT risk assessment and several sectoral assessments. She submitted a doctoral thesis at the Faculty of Law at the University of Latvia, Masters in International and European Law from Riga Graduate School of Law, and Bachelors in Law from the University of Latvia. So she is highly Latvian educated, it seems. No uh, US or UK or anything in there. That's very refreshing, actually, for someone who speaks English so perfectly, too. Um, then. Ambassador Tekmanis uh, has been the ambassador to the United States since 2016. 
He was the ambassador to the Council of Europe, Russia, Germany, and the United Kingdom. Well, for our subject today, those are the perfect countries. Uh, perfect. And he was undersecretary, uh, minister of foreign affairs, and uh, also mayor of Riga in the early 90s. I've never been to Riga, but I, I hope to visit someday. We have then a Frenchman with us, Nicolas Véron, um, whom I've heard of for years, but we've never, never, uh, never met before. Uh, he's a senior fellow at Brugge and is, is currently uh, uh, visiting our swamp, resident at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, and he researches financial systems and financial reform around the world. We'd like to get to know you better, Nicola, I'm sure, including global financial regulatory initiatives and current developments in the European Union, which is very much our broader topic today. He's testified repeatedly at the European Parliament, national parliaments in several EU member states, and the US Congress. And I, I, I could say Nicola is an up-and-comer in the European think tank world and uh, policy world, and may not be that well-known here in Washington, but he's very well-known in Europe, for whatever it's worth, and in France in particular. Then we have uh, Josh Kirschenbaum, who is with us, who's really the, uh, who, who is uh, to a great extent responsible for this event. And we have the pleasure of working with Josh on a fairly regular basis now. Uh, and Josh actually knows real things, unlike me. I've never been in government. Uh, and uh, Josh has been at FinCEN and the Treasury Department and really knows the nuts and bolts of all of this stuff. And we're, uh, uh, apart from this event, we're working with Josh on various things, and um, very happy to know him. Uh, I think that's it. And I should, I guess, I suppose, I mean, uh, I'm Charles Davidson, as I said, the executive director of the Kleptocracy Initiative. We have huge piles of our reports uh, on the table out there. I think many of you are familiar with our work. Um, if you go to the Hudson website, you'll see a cogent summary of what we do with links to our major reports, etc. And we are going to try to consolidate all of our reports and uh, update our infinite wisdom into one report, which we should have by uh, the holidays. So thank you all for coming, and uh, please. <laughs> Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very, very honored that I have been invited to speak here uh, at Hudson's Institute. I think that it's kind of like a cherry on top of the cake uh, for, the, my, for my visit, which I had here for the last couple of days, uh, meeting the friends and, and uh, the stakeholders of U.S. authorities. So um, I hope that I will be able to describe a bit more about that particular uh, subject matter, and I know that it is of big interest right now, not only in Latvia, but also here in um, United States. Of course, even if it's somehow 
might seem challenging to come here and to speak up about the Latvian issues. Uh, I think that Latvian government has never been trying to uh, bury in a sand its head uh, because it is very important that you know uh, where are the problems and uh, how we are trying to tackle those problems. And uh, it is my belief that the small countries can also play a big role. And therefore, I'm here. And I was asked to uh, present a bit about uh, our issues, which we have there. And this picture nicely reminds me about the home, where I haven't been for three weeks, because I came here from Sydney, which, uh, where we had an Egmont group meeting. And uh, right now, it's um, time to go back and to work there on those issues. So um, for those who haven't been informed what happened and why I have been invited here to speak, uh, most probably uh, some of you have noticed that there was uh, Finson's announcement 311 uh, this February, uh, which uh, related to the same bank which we uh, have here in the picture. So ABLV uh, was uh, announced as being a major money laundering concern. And uh, after this announcement, uh, several events um, and the consequences were of this announcement. So right now we have uh, not only Vincent's 311 announcement, but also what we had this year. We had a very important uh, event, which is Moneyval assessment. Moneyval is a regional FITF body, which assesses the country's AML CFT uh, regime and its effectiveness. And uh, although we were quite uh, satisfied with the technical assessment, of course, the ratings on IOs or the uh, effectiveness were not so satisfactory. So the government of Latvia immediately after Finson's announcement uh, took uh, certain very focused uh, um, um, measures to really to tackle those issues which were uh, indicated by the Finson's announcement. And I must say that it was not just like Finson announced something and then Latvian government realized that there should be some activities. Uh, we were trying to really to improve our AML CFT system already for several years. And uh, being, as, uh, being a part of uh, private sector, but also having very uh, uh, close relationship with the public sector, I noticed that, uh, unfortunately, if you sometimes allow something like this happen, if you um, establish the system which is uh, too weak or intransparent, then it may take a long journey to recover after this. And uh, this was our case. So um, despite of the fact that we already had very many measures taken in order to combat money laundering and, and to improve uh, the weaknesses of our system, uh, Finson's announcement was also the reason why I came to the public sector. So thanks to the US Treasury and its agencies, uh, because it was, uh, uh, it was, of course, decided by the uh, government that uh, uh, and, and there was many questions by the government. What happened? What went wrong? Where did we fail to notice something? And uh, one of the uh, questions was really like important one was what is the role of the FIU 
does it has essential role or is it some kind of like uh, additional or somewhere there so um I'm, com I'm coming back to the money well assessment because it allowed us really to concentrate and to focus and to prioritize what we need to do. And I will just briefly describe for those who doesn't know what happened in this money well. So we had an 11 IOs which have been rated and uh, they, the, those IOs are describing how effective is our system. And unfortunately enough, we received two low ratings for those IOs. And these were in relation to the legal person's inability to uh, discover, to establish uh, ultimate beneficial owner, which was to my big surprise, I must, um, I must uh, admit. And we also got, I think it's in the whole history, this is the lowest rating, unfortunately, and we got a low for IO11, which is financial uh, sanctions for proliferation. And you know that it is something which is at stake for the US government, and it is right now also something which is at stake for us uh, in Latvia, and I hope that it will be at stake for the European Union and their members. So um, Latvian government took an actions, and right now, after um, months and something, we adopted on 25th of September, we adopted an action plan for how to implement those recommendations which were uh, drawn by the money well. And this action plan is really a com comprehensive one. And what, I, what can I say? It is that um, during that really not a hard, not an easy time, what we had right now uh, for last uh, nine months already. Uh, we have uh, we have got a common understanding of public and private sector players that only by working together, only by focusing and prioritizing, we can achieve uh, success. We can show the substantial progress of the system. So according to action plan, we have defined several uh, priorities which we have right now uh, as a government and as uh, FIU or the supervisor for financial and also for non-financial um, entities. So <clears throat> first of all, we, are, we will be achieving uh, to strengthen risk-based supervision. This is easy to say, it is not easy to achieve. Uh, it requires not only to understand its risks. What we have there, do we have something which is there or we don't? Maybe we have something something new which we haven't uh, noticed yet. Uh, we will have to introduce uh, much more dissuasive preventive measures and sanctions. We were always blamed for not, be to, uh, for not being dissuasive with sanctions. And it is true, it is objective. Uh, we need to be uh, more focused on sanctioning those who are violating the law. Uh, this also means, this supervision, risk-based supervision, this also means that we will have to be very careful with liquidation of the same bank. As you know, the bank, as I said, uh, during the quite complicated process, 
uh, went to the voluntary liquidation. One may ask why voluntary liquidation when there are some issues with potential of money laundering. When the Pinson's announcement was very clear on saying that uh, ABLV was involved in money laundering. The answer to this is not an easy one, and we are not uh, trying to hide ourselves that we went through, and me, myself, I was very much involved when I was implanted to the position in June uh, 2018, this year. I was very much involved in discussions about uh, how to really uh, deal with this issue. Because as you know, ABLV Bank was supervised by European Central Bank. This is something which makes us in a very difficult position because European Central Bank, until this particular event, and we also did not realize that AML will not be into their scope. We were informed that this will be just a prudential supervision, not an AML supervision. So right now we are in the very middle of discussions how far should European supervision reach national banks? This is very important subject matter, and I think that it is very important that we understand that between all those scandals, which we read on a daily basis, only some of the banks can be described as the turning point. And this is one of the banks, which really made a turning point for different uh, and obviously uh, based opinions on how AML-CFT regime of European Union and global AML-CFT regime will be developing. Uh, so right now, when we had a discussion on how to liquidate that bank, what to do with this bank, we realized that there is no legal basis for um, for asking European Central Bank to go into the AML matters. So we came to the conclusion based on our national legal uh, framework that uh, we can uh, satisfy the request made by the shareholders to have a voluntary liquidation, but it will be strictly controlled liquidation. And I myself and uh, FIU as a body which on regular basis receives just uh, STRs or SARS or the, some unusual transaction reports. In this particular process, we will be much more involved with controlling the process. This is my duty, my goal, my ambition, not to allow this particular process to flow out of the hands. So we will be controlling this, and right now, you may ask why this takes so long compared to other um, situations, reasonably similar situations from the point of view that there were already Pilatus Bank or in Cyprus or in Andorra or in Swiss or in Netherlands or in Denmark or in Estonia. Why we are taking so long to understand how to deal with this. And the reason is, um, I may explain that the reason is that um, we are not under the time pressure, and therefore we have to put together the process where we can certainly see this control element. We cannot allow ourselves to rush 
they are not doing any payouts. For this reason, they have to put a clear mechanism for how not to allow that money which was in that bank and might be not a clean money flow out to the other economies. So, as I said, uh, risk-based supervision will be one of our key priorities. The other one is that we certainly need to facilitate more uh, efficient exchange of information on horizontal as well as vertical level. Uh, we need to establish, and we already had amended our law, which allows us to, uh, to develop public-private partnership. I must say that it is already working during this our national risk assessment, we already started to cooperate a lot with the private sector. I myself was at that time a private sector representative, so I was kind of like asking myself all the time, what's there? What are the obstacles for efficient cooperation? Because this is the only way how we can solve those problems, those emerging problems which we have right now, as the cooperation between ourselves, as partnering between ourselves. And the same with the public sector entities. Why we are not meeting each other, having a conversation with each other. So sharing information, this is something which, of course, for many FIUs, as I'm a representative of FIU right now, is the true kind of uh, mindset change, not to be somewhere in the shadow not to hide ourselves, but to share information and to be a friend for those who are reporting information to us and for those whom we can disseminate that information. Then, uh, of course, one of the biggest issues in every country, I would suppose, maybe not in this one, because I, yesterday I met with FBI and I was very happy to receive very many nice uh, um, words and, and, and also support and, and uh, suggestions how we can improve our law enforcement. Because law enforcement, of course, was an issue and that was part of the problem why we allowed our system to be so weak some years ago. You cannot allow you to have a large, huge, I would say, financial sector if you do not contribute a funding for the law enforcement. This is the biggest, uh, how to say, issue or the problem for the governments to understand. Uh, and this is my duty right now to support those law enforcement and prosecutor agencies uh, and to request from the government appropriate funding in order to balance that financial sector's ability to accumulate money and also risks, and to fight with those risks. And um, then we have those particular measures which uh, relates to the improving our system for targeted financial sanctions. And I think that we have already right now been improving it um, a lot. And uh, this is not an easy task to understand how to really uh, show the substantial progress on such a um, new trend, I would say, as uh, sanctions for proliferation. But uh, considering that we will be organizing an event 
next year on IO11, uh, I think that I will be able to invite all of you and we will be able to share, inform, uh, share our knowledge, expertise, and understanding of how to improve that particular uh, part of fight with the money laundering, terrorism financing, and proliferation. So uh, coming back to the plan, I would say that um, uh, we have set a clear deadlines and very demanding deadlines. Unfortunately, we have just a year to show our progress. And uh, with the, in parallel with deadlines, we have also set very clear KPIs for how to achieve and evaluate our uh, activities, whether we are achieving something. If we come back to this particular bank, my personal view is that nothing will be so important as the control over the ABLV liquidation. From that liquidation, we can uh, basically understand everything that is needed from FITF perspective. From liquidation process of the bank, we can understand our national and regional risks. We can improve our international cooperation, although on that matter we had received a very high rating. We can show that there is a supervision. We can show that there are preventive measures. And finally, uh, this is the task for law enforcement to show that they are able to prove what's there. If I may, in a couple of minutes, uh, come uh, to or, or describe what's, what's uh, for FIU there, what's the role there. I think that uh, this is the main reason uh, why I uh, say yes uh, to Hudson Institute and other counterparts to this uh, to this uh, discussion, because I think that uh, this is something which is notably changing uh, FIU Latvia. And my personal ambition is to become a central part or central uh, body of all AML CFT regime of Latvia. We want to be more visible. We want to achieve uh, the goals that we are coordinating processes over all uh, activities which are in the AML CFT um, um, uh, environment. Uh, I think that the, the moment of enlightenment for me personally was some months ago when I started to question myself that maybe all that happened there partially is related to the thing that FIU is not fulfilling its central role. Maybe that's because FIU has been placed somewhere where there are some legislative obstacles to what we have there. Or maybe FIU has not explained properly its role, duties, and just was not visible enough. So right now, um, what are the resolutions and lessons learned out of these questions? Uh, we want to be visible. And as I said in Eggman Group meeting where we had a very uh, uh, interesting uh, discussion on autonomy and operational independence of FIUs, I said to other heads of FIUs, and these were like 150 or something people there, that uh, we should stand up and speak out. We should 
inform not only our stakeholders, politicians, but also general public on the need to understand what is the money laundering, that this is not a victimless crime. All of us are suffering from this. And uh, we have to speak out not only because we have to explain to the general public um, what will be the consequences if not, uh, one will not understand what is the money laundering and terrorism financing. But this is also important for the uh, information that we receive. It will improve the quality of information. Uh, it will also means that we will receive appropriate funding. And uh, my personal role was that when I came there, my first thing, and I may look selfish from that point of view, I demanded and I asked government and I received the support for this. We finally got appropriate funding for the activities of FIU, which is very important because under-resourced FIU, the same as law enforcement, cannot perform properly. Um, and of course, if we will not uh, be visible, we will never be uh, able to receive support from our closest allies, law enforcement, prosecutors, judges, those who were reporting entities. And if we will not speak up, uh, then most probably we will got the same uh, situation or we will be put in the same situation as uh, FIU Latvia was uh, put uh, in February when everybody blamed FIU for this particular problem. Which is, I suppose, not a best way <laughs> or the most appropriate one. But of course we take, uh, uh, we take some part of this uh, and we know that we should not ever uh, repeat such situation. So right now, my role is to strengthen FIU's operational independence and to strengthen operational and strategic analytic capabilities. Uh, as I said, awareness raising is also in one of my priorities and um, strengthening uh, public-private and public-public partnership. Uh, it is, as I said already, and I will repeat myself, the main and the most, utmost important subject matter for me is the same bank. And of course we understand that by having a huge non-resident banking sector that we have and still have, although the deposits have decreased and uh, we are fighting very, uh, the government is fighting very, very uh, uh, unfocused way with the uh, the market which we have, the financial sector which we have in order to really to balance that non-resident and resident banking sector. Um, ABLV uh, liquidation process and control of other more riskier banks is one of my uh, main duties. So lessons learned because I had to um, elaborate on what are the lessons. I think that uh, I will not go into details about the particular, uh, um, how to say, the second word, Russian, because you must understand that this is not about just Russian. 
we can have different money there. And our IEO 11 proves that, and our uh, risk assessment, Latvian risk assessment proves that this can be money from CIS countries, this can be money from other European or non-European countries where the predicate offense are not a, a rare um, something. So I think that lesson learned is that we have to have a dialogue between different local domestic bodies and also international. Therefore, I'm very happy uh, for you having me here. We should have an openness. We should have an openness in the sharing information and also helping our, ourselves uh, when we have something but we are not really sharing that with this information with our counterparts. Understanding the financial risks, understanding the financial crime scale, and then actionable insights. So, ladies and gentlemen, I think that it might not, um, this picture might not be so rosy, but I think that uh, my um, intention was not to dis, uh, dishearten you. On contrary, I wanted to encourage ourselves, uh, all of us, that we should uh, continue our fight with the money laundering. And uh, as I said already, and I'm re I will be repeating myself, it is my true belief that the partnership uh, we build perhaps is most important one. So if we will be building um, partnerships with each other, then we might probably get better results than we are getting them right now. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Charles Davison, for hosting this event and giving us this platform. And thank you to Zaznosina for uh, your uh, clear-eyed and candid uh, remarks on the situation in Latvia. Uh, I would like to, uh, in inspired by those remarks, I'd like to give a short uh, parade of horrible things that are happening and then argue why that means that I think things are starting now to get better uh, in illicit finance and money laundering in uh, the United States and Europe. Um, Zaznosina referred to this briefly and gave a list of countries uh, just all countries in the European Union where there have been very large-scale money laundering scandals recently of a kind that people imagined I think wouldn't happen uh, at this time. And I should note all of those scandals did involve, at least in part, uh, money, illicit money from Russia. And those included uh, ING Bank in the Netherlands, which was subject to the largest fine ever in the European Union of about $900 million, a Pilatus Bank in Malta, uh, whose license is now going to be revoked. Uh, and was the cause of uh, a European banking agency finding that Malta was in non-compliance with uh, European law. Uh, of course, AVLV and Latvia, as well as uh, money laundering fines on many of the other non-resident banks in Latvia, uh, money laundering fines on most of the major banks in Cyprus, uh, and of course now the one that's in the headlines is um, the non-resident operations of the largest bank in Denmark, Danske Bank, uh, those operations of the branch in Estonia, which is a very small branch, but it turned out moved hundreds of billions of dollars over a several-year period, uh, many of which are probably suspicious. And then a report today in the Financial Times 
that the uh, Estonian branch of Danska, allegedly according to a memo that the Financial Times saw, uh, conducted eight and a half billion euros in mirror trades uh, to move money out of Russia with the same people that were behind the Deutsche Bank mirror trading scandal. So that's pretty good because Deutsche Bank was $10 billion over several year periods. The report today is that Danska was uh, $10 billion in one year, which is really quite impressive if that's true. Uh, and this, of course, led to Scandinavian banking stocks tanking as we speak because there's fear that the exposure may go beyond that in the Baltics. And there's this uncorroborated report from the Estonian Central Bank that other uh, Scandinavian bank branches may have done the same, although I think we should be skeptical and see what the actual facts are there. The, the, the point is things look really bad. And um, while all those scandals relate to Russia, there have, of course, been other very high-profile scandals involving Venezuelan money, in the United States and the Caribbean. Uh, billions of dollars being stolen from the Malaysian government and routed through uh, Singapore and, else, and the Caribbean, ultimately into the United States and elsewhere. Um, there's a long list. That's not even all. Uh, I would argue that things are starting to get better because we actually care now. Uh, this is not new. And one can go back just to the United States and find uh, former CIA official Richard Palmer testifying before Congress in the 90s, warning that this was happening and going to happen. You can find a very large-scale scandal, Bank of New York Mellon, one of the major important financial institutions in New York that was completely penetrated by Russian money laundering. Uh, and uh, you can find other similar instances in the past. I should also point out that it was well known that Cyprus and Latvia in particular had financial sectors that catered to money from Russia and the Commonwealth of Independent States. You can find statements from the Latvian and Cypriot governments in 2013. They finally had a handle on the problem and were fixing it. And various European governments, uh, their diplomatic uh, partners expressed frustration and really wanted it to be fixed, but obviously it wasn't. So on the one hand, we've known about this for a while. On the other hand, it looks like things are getting worse. And that's why I think things are getting better, because we're actually taking some action now. This actually makes sustained headlines there have been fines, there are starting to be more prosecutions, and there have been some high-profile asset forfeitures in the United States. I don't think we're anywhere where we need to be, but I think the fact that this is beginning to dominate the headlines is an indicator. And the second indicator that things are about to get better is there seems to be two emerging consensuses. One consensus I think is shared in the United States and Europe is that illicit finance, money laundering, corruption, and kleptocracy are no longer seen as either national problems, domestic problems, or development problems, and the problem of the theft from third world countries, which is, of course, unfortunate, unseemly, and distasteful, but not really a priority. And I think that understanding has started to shift that opaque channels that funnel billions are a national security threat. And actually, the room you sit in here in the Kleptoxy Initiative program at Hudson has done more than anyone to advance that argument over the last few years, and it's starting to take hold in think tank land, as well as, I think, at higher levels of the US government. I would say that this has been very much an important second-tier issue for the last five or 10 years, and it needs to be a first-tier issue. I think that's changing. And also, certainly that discussion is happening in London and perhaps throughout the EU. The second emerging consensus that Nicola Avron will talk about in a minute is the inadequacy of the regulatory and supervisory architecture in the European Union around AML, because as he will explain, and as Ilzazona referred to, there is now a banking union on the prudential regulatory side, bank lending, bank capital, uh, requirements, but anti-money laundering has been left to uh, individual governments, and that has created in some ways a race to the bottom. I would close in saying that supervisory architecture is important, technical fixes are important, capacity building is important, 
all the operational things we do to detect illicit finance are important. But with an important caveat, we're never going to stamp it out just as we're not going to eradicate crime. Operational improvements and technical changes are absolutely critical, particularly in the case of the EU, but they're of secondary importance to political will. And I would say that the emerging consensus needs to crystallize around intolerance for people building large industries that cater to this, which then in turn creates a political constituency. That's something that we have abided by over the last 10 or 15 years. And it's been a huge mistake because now it's going to be a lot harder to stamp this out. And at the end of the day, while creative facilitators will find ways around controls and there will always be money laundering, just as there will always be crime, just as there will always be immutable human nature, we're never going to get rid of it. On the other hand, it's not exactly difficult to figure out that if a small obscure bank in Estonia is moving hundreds of billions of dollars for a bunch of shell companies, there might be something funny there. So this is as much about political will as it is about technical and operational um, capacity. I think both are critical. And I think we're beginning to see the shift in political will, but we're not there yet. And uh, I'd say that the next year is going to be uh, crucial in that process. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to the organizers. And uh, I'm already learning a lot about what's happening here at Hudson and uh, with the kleptocracy initiative. Uh, so um, for me, uh, that's uh, a first benefit of this uh, initiative. Uh, I have to say, for the sake of disclosure, that uh, Josh and I are working together uh, at this point on uh, reform of the European Union framework for AML policy and especially um, AML supervision. Uh, in the European Union, so, uh, so that uh, is uh, the context of uh, me being here. And I will, as Josh hinted at, uh, focus my remarks on what's happening in the European Union right now. So um, first, it's very complicated, because the European Union is a lot of different countries. It's very arcane. Uh, it's very confusing. Uh, obviously, Switzerland or uh, for that matter, Andorra are in Europe uh, and very much European countries, but they're not in the European Union, so I will not talk about them. Um, and even within the European Union, there is a, a divide which is uh, now very important, as I will explain, uh, inside the uh, group of 28 countries, or 31, including uh, Norway, Liechtenstein, and Iceland, if you take the entire European single market and the European economic area. Uh, but there is a divide between the Eurozone, which is a subset of 19 countries, and the others uh, for matters of banking supervision. Plus, on top of that, you have the United Kingdom, which may uh, probably will uh, exit the European Union in uh, late March next year, uh, and uh, may or may not, we don't know anything about that, exit the single market. So you have all these different circles overlapping, creating a lot of confusion. So what's happening? Um, the European Union has established a single market. That's actually at the core of the very project of European integration. Uh, this single market is cross-sectoral, uh, but it includes banking and financial services. Now, the single market in banking, um, I'm not going to talk much about other financial services, but it's the a, 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 it's a same issue in principle. Uh, it exists in principle, but not in not entirely in practice. And uh, there are there is a complex array of uh, divisions and obstacles to cross-border services, but at the same time, there is a very strong enforceable principle 
of uh, when you're in the single market, you can serve the entire single market. And that's the concept of a passport uh, in a number of uh, market segments. What that means is that uh, money laundering concerns are particularly acute or should be particularly acute in the European Union because once you're in the single market, you can go everywhere, you can invest your money everywhere with uh, more limited ability for authorities to ring fence things uh, at their national borders than in the case for jurisdictions that have more autonomy. So no capital controls, nothing of the sort. Um, well, you will tell me there have been capital controls in Cyprus and Greece, and that's true, but, uh, but that was an anomaly, uh, which is uh, certainly not the normal practice. Now, within the single market, we have the banking union, and the banking union is something very recent. Uh, uh, Mrs. Um, Notina has uh, alluded to the banking union. What is it? It's the fact that prudential supervision of banks, with emphasis on prudential, uh, is now centralized in the 19 countries of the Eurozone within the European Central Bank. So the European Central Bank is what in the US you would call the primary federal regulator for all banks. But in addition to that, it's not just you, that you don't have the US-style fragmentation between OCC, Fed system, and FDIC, but all banks are federally chartered in, to speak, US parlance in the Eurozone. So all the banking licenses are in the hands of the ECB, not of individual member states. That's been the case only since the entry into force of the banking union in November 2014, so less than four years ago. Big change. Plus, on top of that, the supervision of all the banks that you would call typically regional or large banks in the US, so those above a threshold which in the Eurozone is of 30 billion euros of assets, plus a number of smaller ones like ADLV was, uh, are directly supervised from Frankfurt by the European Central Bank. So uh, without having a system of regional federal reserve banks that you have here. So it's a very centralized system for those banks called significant institutions. Uh, now, that's only the Eurozone. So Denmark is not part of that. Even so, it may join the banking union voluntarily. There is a possibility of that without joining, uh, adopting the euro as a currency. That may happen next year, but that hasn't happened yet. And of course, the UK is not part of that. So why are we talking about all these money laundering scandals now? I will su submit that, of course, uh, it's not because there is more money laundering activity going on in Europe, uh, as Josh has mentioned. Uh, these things are not new. And I, for one, don't see any hard indications that you know there is more money being laundered in Europe, in the Baltic countries, or elsewhere, or Cyprus, or Malta, or the UK, or you name your favorite country, mine in France, so are France. Um, it's not an increase in uh, illicit activity, but it's in, an increase in sensitivity vis-a-vis uh, -vis illicit activity. And, and, and my uh, hypothesis uh, for discussion today is that this is because of two things. First, there is an increasing um, perception of uh, the issues with Russia. And of course, the US action with ABLV uh, was part of that, but it's a feeling that is very much shared uh, inside the European Union with very subtle variations across member states. But the other reason why we're talking so much about money laundering these days uh, in Europe is precisely the fact that we have banking union. And there is a concern among uh, European leaders uh, that the failures of AML supervision 
and AML enforcement in individual member states creates reputational risk for the European Central Bank. So the European Central Bank has been very vocal in explaining that they're not in charge of AML supervision, which is true, let alone AML enforcement, uh, but they cannot be satisfied uh, with a situation where AML supervision is seen as failing in Europe because they get spillovers, reputational spillovers from there. Now, we can discuss the subtleties of the division of labor between AML supervisors and prudential supervisors in the European Union, but the first order issue is that people understand banking supervision as a holistic concept, and if one key part of that fails, uh, it damages the authority of the ECB. And that creates a, an awareness of the uh, acuteness of the problems that I think is new and creates uh, welcome pressure for reform in Europe, in addition to the external pressures that came from FinCEN and the US government actions uh, in recent times. So what reform? Uh, at this point, uh, we're at an early stage of deliberation in the European Union. That's why Josh and I are working on possible recommendations. The European Commission, uh, less than a month ago, has made proposals to uh, increase the authority of the European Banking Authority, which is this kind of weird coordination agency at the European level, which is not itself a supervisor, but has some coercive powers on national supervisors and the ECB to a limited extent. Um, so they would have more authority uh, over AML uh, under the Commission's proposal. My view of this is that it's neither here nor there. It's not a, a, a strong centralized uh, authority that would be able to knock heads together uh, and make things happen. And at the same time, uh, it, it deprives um, national authorities of some of their uh, responsibilities and, frankly, accountability uh, when a problem uh, occurs. Uh, so I think this is just an initial step in the debate that will unfold over the next few months. Uh, my view is that given the experience the European Union has uh, now over, in terms of centralized supervision in other matters, prudential supervision at the ECB, also uh, supervision of some non-bank market segments by the European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA, uh, for example, with rating agencies and trade repositories. For disclosure, I'm uh, on the board of one of the trade repositories, so I have to declare that interest. Um, I think we have an exper enough experience of that to envisage uh, a much more integrated framework for AML supervision going forward uh, in the European Union. But again, that's a debate that's still to uh, unfold. Much more going into the institutional details to conclude, much more integrated uh, framework in the European Union for AML enforcement. Does that mean AML supervision, which is the job of uh, supervisory authorities, administrative supervision or the FIU function. Now, of course, in the US, this is the same organization uh, because FinCEN is in charge of both those tasks. That's also the case in some European member states, Malta, uh, Spain, Poland, uh, but not most of the European member states. So, uh, so, so there is a, a debate within the debate, which is if you integrate the framework, is it more on the FIU side or on the supervisory side? Uh, my hypothesis will be uh, here that you get more bang for your reform buck, uh, so to say, uh, on the administrative supervisor side, because FIU integration raises very complicated questions of uh, you know, law enforcement coordination in Europe. Um, uh, supervision, administrative supervision, is by comparison in much easier to integrate at the European level. 
but that's one of the many debates that are going on in Europe right now. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, looking forward to our uh, debate now. Thank you. First, I'd like to thank Hudson Institute for this great opportunity to discuss the most relevant topics that are so similar, tackled in US, in, in Europe, in, in many countries of the world. Uh, I'll make uh, some short overview of, uh, of the maybe history of how this, this issue has, a, has raised up. Uh, Banking sector for Latvia is quite a new, but it appeared only after independence. In Soviet time, we didn't have banking sector because all the, all the banks were located in Moscow and belonged to the Soviet government. And it was quite a lucrative business uh, starting from early 90s. And when he discovered that, well, Latvia can be, can be closer than Switzerland, uh, and of course, proximity of uh, Big neighbors, uh, Russia and other CIS countries, had also left its traces. Well, I, I should acknowledge that a number of Latvian governments ha haven't assessed adequately risks that came together with this growing and flourishing banking sector. Well, until some certain time. Uh, when we saw in, in 2015 that non-resident deposits are creating the major part. 52% of all the deposits located in Latvia. When, when, when we saw that, when Latvian government saw that, uh, this situation, uh, non-resident deposits, uh, trans transactions coming from Russia and other CS country, dirty money of terrorism, of money laundering, uh, government assessed that it is a risky business and then I would say the action started, started with first in 2016 with complete audit of all the major Latvian banks, complete audit done by, by American companies, audit companies that scrutinized and, and all the banks and, and gave their recommendations. Uh, afterwards, uh, government started to implement all these recommendations. Uh, what is very important, the banking business, the banking sector, the community understood. According to the previous rules, we will not play. And a year ago, last year in, in the fall, Banking Association issued their own guidelines uh, combating uh, money laundering, uh, assessing the risks of shell companies and uh, dubious transactions. Well, that was the response of, of the banking sector itself. And of course, uh, ABLV um, case probably has um, increased the speed of, of all the reforms that were so much necessary for Latvian banking sector. Well, it was the biggest banking sector among Baltic states with very strong uh, presence of Scandinavian banking, but also strong presence of, of Latvian national banking sector. Well, government took the very clear position, zero tolerance to uh, 
AML activity, zero tolerance to terrorism financing. Government not only cooperated very closely on implementation of UN sanctions, but also uh, well, on, on EU sanctions uh, regime, but also cooperated very closely with uh, American partners, with United States in um, developing legislation of increased in, in, uh, national sanctions, uh, imposing national sanctions to uh, all kind of terrorism uh, financing cases. Well, Latvia joined also the OECD Convention on Combating Bribery of Foreign Public Officials in International uh, Business Transactions. Well, uh, after uh, ABLV case, uh, very substantial uh, changes of legislation in Latvia have taken place. Parliament approved clear definition uh, on shell companies and uh, all other necessary legislations that improved supervision uh, and, and reduction of uh, non-resident deficits and a reduction of risks uh, deriving of, of these um, non-resident deposits and, and um, dubious transactions. Uh, I won't repeat what, what Ilse has said already. I think she described perfectly the, the situation. Uh, but results we, we could see. If, as I said, in 2015, we had 52% of non-resident deposits. Early this year, we have something like 33%. Currently, we have 20.5% foreign uh, uh, deposits. That means um, nearly 80% uh, Latvian deposits, about 10% EU deposits coming from EU countries, and 5% coming from Russia and other, other uh, CIS countries. Now, that's enormous decrease. Of, uh, of, of this risk, decrease of risks as well. But well, the, with, with that, uh, I think government actions hasn't stopped. And as Ilza mentioned, two weeks ago, government approved a comprehensive plan of action uh, in time scale, uh, end of next year, uh, what government and uh, all the actors are, are up to uh, to combat uh, uh, money laundering and um, uh, financial crime. Well, ABLV case also indicated uh, that there are problems not only in Latvia. Well, I, I won't speak about uh, other countries that have been mentioned already today, but it indicated that there are systemic gaps in system of supervision uh, on European level, and that's our next step. What, what uh, well, Latvia, along with other EU members, along with uh, Eurozone members, uh, have to do, and to abolish this, these gaps, to create efficient and comprehensive system of supervision and efficient system for combating financial crimes. Uh, well, Latvian government has introduced unprecedented ban for banks and, and payments any payment institutions of to related to shell companies. Uh, government has established public-private partnership to enhance investigation of financial crimes, allocated appropriate resources uh, to be efficient in this combating of financial crimes. 
but of course, uh, the task challenges for, uh, for European, European countries, for Commission, for ECB, that's what, uh, what Joshua already uh, mentioned. Well, I wouldn't say that this situation when uh, Latvian banking sectors that constitutes about 10% of Latvian GDP would have uh, grave consequences for Latvian economy. Uh, first half a year of Latvia's GDP has grown by 5.3%, even with declining, substantially declining uh, foreign resident deposit business. Uh, only a few weeks ago, Standard & Poor's has increased Latvian uh, rating to 1A, and also with a, on a background uh, of decreasing banking sector or banking activities, in, in particular related to uh, foreign, foreign uh, deposits, uh, uh, foreign companies. Well, Latvian banking business from the very beginning has been quite advanced technologically. Uh, and it is, it is still advanced technologically, and it is uh, implementing new fintech approaches to banking business in combination with IT business, new proposals, new ideas for, for fintech solutions. Um, and I think, uh, well, not assessing that current situation um, as positive. No. Well, it's really uh, the 311 uh, statement of, of um, FinCEN was a huge signal to Latvian government, and we have, we have heard it. And we, we are addressing properly that we should tackle, we should tackle this, these issues, but uh, certainly we are not alone that should cope with, with all these risks. Uh, at the same time, banking life is still continuing, and uh, American business is entering Latvian uh, banking community. Our, one of our leading banks, Citadel, was bought by uh, American investors two years ago. Uh, just a few months ago, uh, Blackstone Group take over, took over a Luminar Bank, that's a former uh, DNB and Nordea uh, took over 60% of the bank assets and entered into Latvian business. Well, I should say that the, it's not the end of the life, and end of Latvian economy and end of Latvian banking business, just opposite. Banking business will develop, but will develop uh, as transparent as banking business is in our days but under control, under proper supervision, and with zero tolerance to any kind of financial crimes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so we've, we've heard quite extensively from everyone. Uh, we don't have a great deal of time left, so what I would like to do is invite our speakers to respond to each other if they have anything they would like to uh, comment on or contradict or whatever. Uh, and then uh, we'll just take a few minutes for that, we, and then we will turn to you for uh, questions. Do we have any, uh, or we can turn right away to questions, depends whether they're 
Just anything you'd like to add? Or I think we have a very unified opinion on what is going on and uh, unified, yeah. Yeah. how to how the improvement should be. Yeah, I mean, it's um, uh, from our U.S. perspective. I mean, one of the uh, uh, things that the kleptocracy initiative is engaging is in is trying to encourage as much uh, self-flagellation as possible at the U.S. level, uh, because we certainly have reforms that, uh, that we need to enact. Uh, but uh, I think this is a this is a very complete picture. Um, of what's going on in, in Europe right now. And uh, Nicola gave us a, an overview of, uh, of what's going on at that level. Um, the newspapers are full of this subject right now also. And what the, when the ambassador mentioned systemic gaps, of course, that's what we're facing uh, everywhere and what we all need to figure out how to plug those gaps and make this whole system a, a lot tighter as this has become a uh, such a huge political challenge. I mean, uh, Nicola mentioned there was a lot of plenty of there's always been plenty of money laundering going on, uh, but these problems were very different before Putin invaded Ukraine. In our view, at least. Just a, a small addition to this, I think uh, something that Josh also said very uh, forcefully. I think, uh, looking out the window, um, uh, the. The European Union has issues, uh, has some serious issues of rule of law in a number of member states, and this issue, these, these issues have become increasingly prominent also in a formal way of uh, procedures, uh, 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 as you know, uh, with Hungary, potentially with Poland, and Romania, potentially with other member states. Um, so obviously everything we're talking about here, whether in the US or in Europe, is predicated on the notion that there should be zero tolerance for corruption and that the rule of law is non-negotiable. Uh, we're seeing challenges about this, uh, both in the US and here, and, and in, in the European Union. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but I very much tend to see the issue of AML reform uh, framed in that larger issue of uh, what exactly defines uh, our uh, institutional framework. Do we have any questions? Yes, sir. Back there, there uh, are two microphones circulating. So please just uh, uh, mention your name and affiliation before okay. uh, the question, please. Hello, uh, my name is John Consants. Uh I have some experience in this. I've, I'm a foreign prosecutor, and I've been heading anti-money laundering programs for global financial institutions for like 17 years, including Europe, uh, European banks. And I, I think there's some good points, but I, I think that the primary uh, obstacle has been uh, that there is no harmonious pan-European enforcement. Uh, there is a modicum of supervision uh, through Moneyval, and I think everybody, maybe they don't know, but Europe has something called the Third European uh, Directive on AML and the Fourth European. Those are minimum standards for all 28 member states, and they're good. They're comprehensive. In some respects, they're even better than the USA Patriot Act. Uh, but the enforcement is lax. There's a uh, hodgepodge. Each country has its own sovereign, its own FIU, its own interests, its own resources. And uh, without going into uh, a lot of discourse, I can tell you that if, regardless of whether it's billions of dirty rubles or billions of dirty Indian rupees, they're, trying to, they're looking for a substantial 
uh, tradable currency, like euros and dollars, and it's the weakest link. If you can get into Cyprus, into Latvia, into Denmark, into Estonia, you've got the euro. So I, I think that there has to be some pan-European enforcement. Okay, well, I think that's been expressed by the, by the speakers. Um, do we have any other questions? Just the young man in the uh, third row, please, and then we'll move to the rest of you. I'm uh, Jeremy Langlois. I'm with the uh, National Endowment for Democracy. Uh, Joshua talked a lot about political will as a key factor in making progress on this issue. And I wondered if any of the panelists had comments on whether the upcoming election tomorrow uh, may have an, an impact on the resources available to tackle this issue. Because I'm, you know, in 20 years, Latvia's had 28 governments. That's, you know, in some analysts' opinion, part of the issue of creating a sustainable AML framework. So if you had comments on that, I'd be interested to hear them. Well, um, you know, uh, normally when, 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 when a country has to tackle important problems, then there is a certain period, usually about at least six months, where political lo logic, logic is changing and not is being adequate to the normal one that always happens before elections. Uh, at the same time, I think what, what Latvian government had to do, it has done. While this action plan uh, stretching out till end of 2019 has been adopted, uh, necessary financial means have been allocated and all these actions will go on. I don't expect uh, that elections may substantially change uh, attitude of our next government. I, I have no idea what, what shape we will have, what kind of coalition. We will have coalition, I can promise you. Uh, we'll have coalition, uh, what, what shape this coalition may have, I don't know. Well, we will see in a few days only. But I think the pressure of any government, of any coalition, from society, and here I would say pressure not only to Latvian government, but also to any uh, democratic government uh, demanding trans more transparency, even in banking sector, demanding more responsibility of officials. I think reaction to Panama Papers uh, was quite, quite impressive going across the world. And I think Latvian government, even next Latvian government, is, will, will not dig in somewhere and, and stay apart from all these global processes. They will address uh, these uh, issues adequately, and I'm confident they will continue uh, the work that has been done already and, and has, that has started that will go on to bring, bring order in, in Latvian banking system. Can I answer? <laughs> I always lack ability to, to, to have those small talks, so therefore I will answer quite honestly to you how I feel and uh, about the elections which we have uh, just tomorrow. I think that there is a potential for not having the same course which we already took. And uh, it, is, uh, it is very important for us, those who are professionals, within the FIU or the supervisory bodies or any other law enforcement body to really to 
to be very open and very straightforward with those politicians which will come uh, to in a, or which will uh, be in the parliament and afterwards in the government to disclose to them that this will not some be uh, it will not be some problem which will just disappear because they appeared there so it is my personal duty and of course of those agencies uh, which are standing right behind me or next me next to me uh, to inform those politicians about the money involved process or the FITF process or any other processes which we will face in very near future and are facing right now. And I'm doing myself it already, uh, trying to convince those politicians, kind of populist ones, some of them having a clear connection with the Russian uh, money, that uh, we will not tolerate their, um, mm, how to say, how to better describe, their movements toward not to see what we have seen already for the uh, last few months. So I hope that we will not be lacking resource uh, after these elections, and I hope that the governments and the politicians will continue to work towards the improvement. May I add one comment to that, Just in response to that, Jeremy, I, I can't comment on Latvian politics. I'm not informed enough. But I can give you a warning of what I think the banks might try to do in Latvia as an example of what they try to do in all these cases. Although I tried to sound an optimistic note, there's an alternate alternative scenario, I think, regardless of what happens in the elections. Uh, what they're going to try to do, in particular the leading non-resident banks that are left, such as Norvik and Riatumu um, and others, is they will try to uh, adopt, or my prediction is that they might try to adopt the window dressing of reform and wait it out till things tide over and, uh, and, and the pressure subsides. That has worked in the past. I'm optimistic it will not work this time, but it might. And to give one example of how they could do something like that, they will hire consultants and adopt, you know, issue new programs and bells and whistles. They might also play with the numbers. So the ambassador alluded correctly to that there's been a reduction in non-resident deposits. And I should add, I do think the government has done a lot. I think there's been a correct tone from the top, for example, from finance minister and the prime minister, but especially finance minister Rezisozola has been quite vocal. Um, there's, I believe there's strong leadership at the, at the regulator, at the supervisor, FCMC, and now there's strong assertive leadership at the FIU. But um, the banks can do things to play with it. So they can, um, they can start shifting uh, deposits to uh, EU companies or to Latvian companies. It's unclear whether the, um, whether the ABLE's deposits are counted in that 20% figure or not, but let's see what happens. Uh, just as, as, as a benchmark, the finance minister and others hoped to reduce it. They announced back in the spring they hoped to reduce things to 5% by now. And it's currently at 20 and the reason is that, that it's hard. And you can also route larger flow through smaller accounts and get the deposits down and have the flow tick up. So it's, they're not going to give up, I don't think. And so it's too soon to say. And they will absolutely play around the margins to see if they can, they can stay alive. Can I, can I elaborate a bit? Because it needs answer. Uh, uh, I think that it is, uh, it is true uh, and obvious like, uh, opinion on, on, on what could happen. On the other hand, I could assure you that uh, we will not let that happen. And uh, I think that it is very important that uh, not only me, but others, um, uh, my allies, uh, have understood uh, how we've been fooled out uh, from time to time. And you already repeated that and, 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 and this, uh, described it. And uh, this might not happen anymore. And this is very good that we have this turning point and we have this moment of darkness right now. And this would not have to repeat again. So I think that uh, I've already uh, seen uh, like almost all banks and discussed with them 
uh, how risky is their business. Despite of those announcements which we have about the deposit decrease or something like this, this is about how FIU sees their business. And FIU has a role for this, uh, really, to not to allow one or another bank just to make those like uh, uh, something, uh, uh, and 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 we will do that. So in that regard, I think that uh, uh, there are different um, attitudes towards this issue. Yeah, as a, uh, I think we we can all uh, realize that there are a lot of moving pieces there. Uh, there are also European pieces. So as Josh mentioned, the European Banking Authority has found uh, has. Uh, finalized an investigation of uh, breach of union law, as it's called, uh, in Malta. And uh, the current discussion is about follow-up actions to this, which may result in the EBA, as it can under current law, uh, imposing direct decisions on uh, Maltese financial uh, participants uh, if there is a, a, a finding of failure of the national uh, authorities. Uh, and it's a matter of public record that the European Commission has asked the EBA to conduct similar investigations on uh, Latvian authorities uh, in the follow-up, uh, in the wake of the ABLB case. So, so that's an un, uh, ongoing process. It's uh, one step less advanced than in Malta because the EBA has not published its uh, initial findings, uh, but that's also a space to watch. We had a question on the front row. Thank you very much. Irene Pasternak from Navigant Consulting. Uh, we've been a large part of your independent review, so I can attest that the government of Latvia definitely took very strong steps um, after 2015, at least that's what we know, um, to tackle the anti-money laundering issue. Uh, what I wanted to touch upon is um, the ambassador's point of um, new um, sort of industries that are coming into Latvia now, uh, such as IT and fintech, and a lot of investments done there. So I wanted to see what is the government's um, sort of controls around regulations around and FAU's role around controlling that environment to make sure that the money laundering that was happening in the banks is not going to move right into the other sectors. Thank you very much. Well, I think Latin government is really aware that uh, new technology should be applied and used widely in banking supervision. Because without new technologies, new IT uh, programming, it, it, it looks quite impossible. Uh, I, and, and here I think uh, the key word is, uh, well, the same actually applies to, to, to supervision on European scale. Also on European scales and new technologies are, are, are needed. Well, what I mentioned about FinTech is, is more about uh, really just normal banking services uh, like, like zip payments that are, are well, uh, that have been created in Latvia, where in, in few seconds you can make a transfer across Europe, and, and co cooperation between IT companies and banking sectors. That's what I meant. But well, with regard to banking supervision, certainly, well, we we, we are not going to uh, well cure our teeth ourselves. So we we will look for dentists. I think that uh, in relation to FIU roles, uh, role in this regard. Uh, it is very important uh, to understand what is the risk there, what is the scale of it, and we understand that, uh, and I've already, last year when I uh, was a leader for the national risk assessment, I've already at that time 
indicated that if you squeeze something, then it will pop out somewhere else. So, of course, we understand that we should have this uh, um, attention to the emerging risk of virtual currencies or any like fintech issue or something. Unfortunately, uh, this is not enough just to understand that. Uh, and we are working towards that we uh, really improve our understanding, our ability to fight with uh, particular issues which relates to those new emerging trends. Uh, right now, FIU is in the middle of process of uh, you know, risk assessment for virtual currencies. So this is the first step. Then we, of course, are having the training sessions for our employees and for reporting entities so that we receive that information from them. Uh, FIFSA AML Directive will be some kind of cure for this. Uh, let's see how effective it will be and how where we will move from that point of view. But yes, there are very many issues that are complicated in this regard, and I'm not uh, shying away from this, that, uh, that we are still in the uh, just the very, very beginning of the journey in order to understand not that classical, so to say, business uh, with uh, the classical AML issues, but the, the ones uh, which we have here in, in, in this emerging uh, trends. Question in back here, please. Asta Benonis with the Lithuanian American Community Incorporated. Um, I'm delighted to hear that our neighbors, to, our cousins actually to the north, um, are doing a good job with reform. And I wish you much, you know, continued success. And uh, mm -hmm. hopefully those politicians will come into line um, that you'll have to handle. Um, my question, though, is probably for Charles and for Joshua, and that is that. Um, have you looked at whether any of this laundered money has gone into U.S. hedge funds? And the reason for that that comes to mind, of course, is the Mueller investigation and the links of the Mercer Foundation with uh, Mercer's hedge fund with Cambridge Analytica and other places. Um, and Luke, then I just sorry. have a quick other question. If there are U.S. politicians who are trying to block the Mueller investigation, and I think we all know the ones who are hyper, they go beyond partisanship. Uh, I'm thinking about Mr. Jordan in Ohio and, you know, Mr. Nunes in California. Um, is it possible to see if they have Cypriot bank accounts? All right, well, we'll take, we'll take the, yeah. Okay. Oh, you told me that's all yours, and no, now no, you no, want to no, come no. in? I, I was going to be able to explain something. No, no, I, right. I, I refrain, I refrain. All right, well, you, you jump in after. Uh, I had a way to avoid the question. Well, that was pretty good, I thought. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, the ambassador mentioned systemic gaps, and this whole issue of hedge funds and private equity uh, funds in the United States is a systemic gap because they are not subject to the same AML reporting requirements as banks, et cetera. So that's something we need to fix, period. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I can't comment on Robert Mercer or anyone in particular, um, but three, three responses. In terms of whether Americans maintain foreign bank accounts, under US law, you are required to file a foreign bank account report with uh, tre Treasury. And uh, so it's illegal. That's actually, I believe, one of the things Mueller was either charged or convicted of. And so you have to, and if you don't, it's illegal. Um, similarly, the U.S. government can obtain under 314A of the Patriot Act information as to whether Americans or foreigners hold domestic bank accounts. So that information is accessible uh, in theory. Uh, your second question about whether money laundered from any particular schemes, you didn't say which scheme, comes into the U.S., that's a grayer area. That information could be available. 
depending on the facts. So if a suspicious activity report is filed, then that would be available. If it's not, then that wouldn't readily be available to the US government if money going through one of these Eastern European laundromats came here. It wouldn't, if there weren't a SAR, it wouldn't automatically be available. However, there are other ways to get it, such as a law enforcement investigation or a subpoena. Mm -hmm. There are also authorities on the books to allow the Treasury Department to collect cross-border payment information. It's not being done in a centralized fashion right now. I think it should, which would then automatically collect all that, assuming the information were contained in the transactional data set. But, um, but it can be done in an ad hoc way. So the answer there is maybe. And then your final question about sort of whether hedge funds are laundering money or are conduits. Part of the problem of private investment funds is that's an additional layer that obscures beneficial ownership. So for example, if money were coming from, let's say, Danske Bank in Estonia at the height of its uh, malevolent activities, coming into a US hedge fund, even if the US government were able to see those flows, it wouldn't necessarily know who the investors underneath the fund are. And there are two gaps there. The first, as Charles alluded to, managers of hedge funds, private equity, and venture capital, although they're regulated by the SEC, are exempt from the requirement to, to establish and maintain anti-money laundering programs. Uh, Congress called for Treasury to impose those obligations in 2001, so it's been 17 years, and that's a gap that needs to close. And then secondarily, it's not an AML issue, but the government doesn't have good insight into who the underlying investors in those funds are or where those, that money's actually invested. Um, and that's not necessarily an issue for AML or FinCEN, but that's something the SEC could collect under its Securities Exchange Act authority, and I think it should, so we know. But right now, we don't really have good visibility into whose money that is. And that's currently, in terms of SEC-regulated assets uh, of private equity hedge funds, venture capital is $12.5 trillion of US managers. There's also been foreign funds also investing here. We have a question in the front row Hi, uh, Mark McGlinchey. I'm an analyst. I work for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, I have a two-part question. It's, it's a broad question at first and a narrow, more narrow sub-question. Uh, broadly, what do you think about illicit financial flows as they apply to technology transfers and strategic trade controls, uh, military technologies and dual-use technologies with military applications? And more narrowly, in particular, do you think there's adequate scrutiny regulatory scrutiny, law enforcement scrutiny, as well as intelligence scrutiny on freight forwarders, customs brokers, and trading companies, and you know, trade intermediaries in general uh, that could potentially serve as front or shell companies uh, in it, that, in addition to the illicit trade they engage in, are possibly engaged in illicit trade uh, working on behalf of weapons procurement networks or dual-use technology procurement networks. That sounds like one question. You said there were. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, I'll let my colleagues comment on that. Unfortunately, unfortunately that's a distressing, distressing, excuse me, question uh, where uh, you've sort of embodied a lot of the answer already. I mean, these are the sorts of things we've been concerned, very concerned about. And as we know, uh, there are huge systemic gaps in the way that we're able to even know what's going on. Uh, especially given the use of anonymous companies, and there's, there's the famous Victor Bout case, if we go back a few years, but we haven't really done anything to prevent such things from happening. So we don't really know, and we need to uh, make certain reforms clearly in this area. Uh, do we have uh, any further comments on that, though, from the 
I can just elaborate a bit, but I already told uh, uh, during my presentation that this is something which is, of course, at stake for us all, also in Latvian government right now because of those bad ratings which we received. And uh, this was kind of like a, a waking bell for us because we didn't realize that this is so important. And of course, it, uh, it also means for me personally, for my colleagues, for law enforcement to realize that we are in the new era, so to say. We are in, uh, in, in, in an environment where this really matters. And unfortunately, what we see, and right now I just, uh, being here in the uh, US, I was dealing with some issues which clearly indicates that uh, until now we have not realized how, um, how uh, able, uh, how, how those people who are in the middle of that process of those businesses, how they were able to uncover, uh, to cover themselves by different businesses, by very innocent businesses, uh, that we would not realize that something like uh, this was going on there. So uh, right now we are trying to build up our ability to really to discover this, to, to uh, understand that uh, scale. Uh, I'm not saying that we are still uh, like at the stage that we could put some kind of like uh, medals <laughs> there, yeah. So, I think that uh, this is this is again it comes back to this dialogue, the sharing of information as much as possible, and that we are really uh, in the same boat, so to say, that we want to 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 get the, to the result uh, in a unified way. This this is a sobering and very appropriate note to end on. I'm afraid we have have to conclude here because you're underscoring very much. This is a national security issue above all, and really a NATO security issue. And uh, I, I'd just like to say, well, first of all, thank you for coming. In terms of policy and our work here at Hudson, we've pretty much put on the table most of the ideas that we think need to be implemented policy-wise in terms of US reform. And one of the things that we're going to be doing going forward is having a lot more contacts with Europe and proposing uh, things in terms of uh, U.S. European coordination on these matters. So we're delighted to have uh, have this event, have the honor of hosting this, and uh, we hope that we'll be in touch with you all going forward. And uh, thanks again for coming. Thank you. Thank you.